Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. It's time for another episode of Last Drinks, a podcast where we have conversations for the sober and the sober curious, hosted by me, Maz Compton, sober since 2015. Hey fam bam, welcome to another episode of Last Drinks and this is a good one. I mean, they're all great episodes, but this is really exciting. I have been working on a project in all of that spare time that I have. Um, that was a lull, guys. I, have, I haven't I have had much spare time. I really had to like make some, I guess, sacrifices in a way um, to get this project off the ground, but they are sacrifices that I was absolutely okay with because the end result is this. My dear and beautiful friend, Lindy Cohen, who's a dietitian and a nutritionist, actually has stopped drinking. She hasn't had a drink for a few months and we were kind of chatting about it. And Lindy stopped drinking for reasons around her anxiety. She noticed that when she stopped drinking, she didn't have anxiety and she thought that during her pregnancy, when she wasn't drinking, her anxiety was null and void. Let's maybe keep not drinking and see how that is playing out. And her bub now is six months and she hasn't had a drink and things are going well. So Lindy has had a break from booze and is really passionate about helping people get to a place where taking a break from booze feels achievable. So we kind of got our heads together and we came up with a whole bunch of questions that people always ask me because I haven't had a drink for a really long time about not drinking. So what are people going to think? Am I going to be boring? Like, will I have to just completely cancel my social life? Can I be fun without booze? Can I go on a date without alcohol? What if my partner doesn't want to not drink, but I'm not going to drink. How do I have that conversation? Who do I tell? Who do I trust? What do I drink instead? What else can I do instead of drinking? We have answered every single question that you might have about taking some time away from alcohol. And we have put it all together in an audio series called Booze Break. You can go to myboozebreak.com and you can have a listen to episode one and see if it's something that might help you have a bit of time away from booze. Now, we're launching this on the 1st of October because October equals October. Well done, us. Great timing. But we thought, you know, this is a really great plan for people. It's another option for people who want to take some time away from alcohol. So in this episode of last drinks. We will hear about Lindy Cohen's last drink. And then we're also going to unpack a bit about booze break, what it was like recording together. And I'm going to give you a little bit of an exclusive sneak peek 
of one of the episodes that hasn't been released just yet. So yay for you for tuning in here because you're getting a little bit of a heads up. And if you want more information, as I said, myboozebreak.com, or you can hit up Lindy, who is at nude underscore nutritionist on Instagram, or of course, you can hit me up on Insta at Maz Compton. Would love to hear from you. Can send you a direct link if that's easier than going to a website. Who goes to websites these days? I don't even know, but we built one. Um, so really, so yeah, this is... This is what I've been working on, guys, and I'm really so incredibly proud of this project. It sounds so good. Like I listened to the first episode and I was like, this is amazing. This is gonna, this is gonna help people. This is really practical. There's no boring worksheets, there's no homework. It's just you popping your earbuds, go get shit done, and we will help you reframe your relationship with alcohol. Enjoy this special edition of Last Drinks with Lindy Cohen, and you'll hear all about Booze Break. Lindy Cohen, my Booze Break buddy. (laughs) (laughs) Gladly. Gladly. Thanks for joining me on the pod. Um, So we've been working together, which has been super fun, and I just realized that as much as we have been um, growing down and sharing about our journeys with alcohol and without alcohol, I don't think I've heard about your last drink. So can we start with that? Can you tell me about your last drink? Very uneventful, to be honest. I'm trying to cast my memory back to my last drink. And to be honest, I'm doing my little booze-free experiments, knowing that I'm not drinking alcohol, but anytime I feel like having a sip, I do. And for me, that totally works. So like even on this weekend, my husband was having a glass of Pinot and I always loved drinking Pinot. So I was like, oh, can I have a little taste? I had a taste. I really enjoyed it. And you know what that did for me? It re-solidified the fact that, yes, I think this is kind of yum, but also I really don't want this. And it's like every little sip that I have, and it's not often, it's just every so often, I'm kind of going, yep, I know I'm doing the right thing by doing this. Nope, don't miss that enough. Nope, that taste is not worth how good I feel. And so for me, I'm one of those people, I think I can have quite a uh, a flexible, intuitive way of being with alcohol where it doesn't have to be absolutely no for me. I'm also 14 months, maybe 15 months in and going, I don't know, maybe at one point I might have a drink in the future. I don't know, Mm. but I'm open-minded to whatever that looks like for me. As long as I'm feeling as good as I feel, we cannot imagine drinking again. So what were the events that led you to a point where you were like, huh, alcohol and me, not, not having a great time together? Yeah, not good friends, not good friends. I want to, I want to break up with you. Yeah. I came to this realization after way too many years. I don't know why it took me so long. I guess because it's so embedded in absolutely everything that we do. Started drinking at what, 16, really, really heavily drinking by like university days. So from 17 to 21, 
like drinking five nights a week, really all the time. And it was around that time, what do you know, that I got diagnosed with clinical anxiety. I was quite crippled by my mental health condition. I felt extreme social anxiety as though I'd lie in bed at night and really beat myself up about everything and anything I said and worry about what people thought about me and replay terrible things I'd done years ago or moments ago. It didn't matter if I was sober or hungover or drunk, everything was on the chopping board for me to feel anxious about. And I think that's why I didn't really bring it all together until mm, 12 years after my clinical anxiety diagnosis and many years after I started drinking, almost two decades, did I finally go, aha, this alcohol thing, maybe this is what is contributing greatly to my anxiety. Know how it happened is I got pregnant. I fell pregnant and I was like, oh, I feel amazing. Other women are like, I hate being pregnant. <laughs> I'm bloated. I yeah. feel awful. And I was like, I have more energy and I feel amazing and I wow. like myself. That was the thing. It was the first time in my life where I was like, it's so easy to like myself. I don't have to try hard. Whereas before I had to pull on all these little tools in my brain to go, you know, when we hear the negative self-talk, this is what we do. And I'd have these processes and the CBT and all, CBD, CBT, it's not CBD. The CBT? Cognitive, the cognitive behavior therapy. Not CBT, not CBD oil. And no, I didn't try that. Although but people do try that for anxiety. <laughs> totally, but I did the CPT, CBT and it was useful and I definitely pulled in it. But once I stopped mm. drinking alcohol, you know what it is? I could file the anxious thoughts in my brain and put them away in a folder and they'd just stay in that folder. They wouldn't come back out and I wouldn't have to re-sort them out again and organize them and put them back in that folder, which is something during my anxious years, I would have to do that multiple times a night, constantly replacing these thoughts back where they belonged into their healthy thinking patterns. But with alcohol, I could put it there and I could you know, fall asleep easily. And that is what was so incredible and so compelling. After I gave birth of my first, I started drinking again because I was like, I didn't quite realize it. And Mm -hmm. then the anxiety came back. At first I thought this is a hormonal thing. This is happening because I was pregnant and my body just loves being pregnant. And it's something to do with my monthly cycle. And so I spoke to my obstetrician and we did an experiment. We're like, Great. Let's see if I don't drink alcohol for a bit and I have my normal cycles, so non-pregnant, how do I feel? Mm-hmm. And now it's been almost seven months and my anxiety has not returned. And I'm really excited about the future because if you had told me 10 years ago, five years ago, that I could live in this body and not feel anxiety, this thing that totally controlled my life, I would do anything. And honestly, I did try most things to try and get rid of the anxiety. And here I am going, it is as simple as not drinking alcohol for me, along with the other tools that I've learned from, you know, therapy and all that kind of stuff. Mm. Alcohol is a huge contributor for me. And that's why I, I can't imagine drinking again. It's so interesting to hear your story that you had this anxiety diagnosis and that's, that would have been, I can imagine, quite debilitating or maybe it was a relief that you had a label. You were like, oh, this is this thing that is crippling me. Like I can actually name it. So with that diagnosis, then what we do is we try and figure out how to live with that thing. And so, yeah, you go down all of the roads, right? Like whether it's supplementation, whether it's 
yeah, talk therapy, whether it's who knows, of course, you're going to do whatever you can to get yourself in a place where you can manage that diagnosis. And it's just interesting that alcohol is not a part of that conversation ever from, and, you know, no disrespect to, but a GP or a psychologist or whoever, it doesn't sound like that was like one of the things that was brought to the agenda to say, well, actually, how much do you drink? Because do you know that alcohol actually does all this stuff in our brain and that might contribute to your anxiety? It might not mean that if you cut out alcohol, you'll automatically never feel anxiety ever again. And it's not about preaching that message, but just to have alcohol as part of those medical and mental health conversations is like step one. That's what I feel. I'm like, that should have been one of the first things that was offered as the experiment. Like, okay, let's manage your anxiety, Lindy. Why don't we talk about how much you're drinking and how much that might be contributing to it and see if that's a bit of a fix for you? Totally. I couldn't agree more. I feel like what we do is when someone gets diagnosed with something like a mental health condition, we are kind of quick to throw some like food rules their way. We're like, oh, have you tried this diet or um, have you tried this thing? But alcohol is never, ever suggested. It certainly wasn't suggested for me in all the therapy sessions I did and all the doctors I've seen. No one said to me, hey, have you reconsidered? How about you reconsider your relationship with alcohol? And I wish they did. And I wish at the time I would have been open to receiving that and going, yeah, okay, cool. Maybe I do give it this a hot crack. I recently went to go see my GP and I saw a specialist and I told them, hey, my anxiety is so much better since I stopped drinking alcohol. And they were kind of surprised. Yes, it makes sense in their mind, but they go, oh, that's really good to know. Like that's Mm. that's handy for me as a a medical professional to be aware of. And I said, yeah, well, it makes so much sense once you understand the research and how much research there is linking mental health conditions and alcohol. And it was only just a moment of realization for them. We have to remember with our medical professionals, they exist in this world too. They're just Mm. as susceptible to the allure of alcohol marketing and all the messages that we are constantly being told. They are also existing in this world where alcohol is totally normalized. It's how they socialize. So if they themselves are drinking alcohol, which most of them do, they'd probably be less likely to recommend it as an intervention. Because, you know, I know for myself as a professional, I'm recommending things that I've done myself and I've experienced the difference from mm. much more readily than I am to things that I haven't personal experience of. And I think that is a fundamental problem that so many of our healthcare professionals have perhaps an unhealthy relationship with alcohol, or at least many of them drink and that is normalized. Yeah. So when So I feel like you got a bit of a jump start on the break from alcohol with the pregnancy. Like that was a good hack, that one. (laughs) You're like, one way to do it, you know? Yeah, I'm going to get knocked up and then I won't drink for a while and then I'm going to feel amazing. Like, but um, not everybody wants to have a child. (laughs) And some people are men listening to this and that's not really an option yet, maybe one day. There's probably easier ways to quit alcohol without. (laughs) pushing a baby out of your vagina. You know, it's not like you don't have to go down that road. There are other roads too. Um, But my point is you have this beautiful experience in pregnancy. You have this bub and then you're a mum. 
And then you said that you did go back to drinking. It Was it because it was the done thing and you hadn't put the two and two together at that point? Was it to... Um, exist in those mothers' groups where we're having a glass of wine together because our kids aren't sleeping through the night, and because that is a real um, culture fixture as well. I think in the Western world, definitely, where we're like, oh, well, parenting's really hard, so let's just get drunk. Yeah, um, and I don't know if that was your experience. Mummy juice is totally a thing. I had a glass of wine in the hospital to celebrate after my first was born. That's how embedded I was with wow. alcohol as part yeah. of it. And I didn't think it was strange. I now look back at photos and go, oh, huh? what? <laughs> how is that? Like you're you're literally hospitalized, recovering from major surgery because I ended up in a C-section and you think, oh, alcohol. And that was totally normal. And it was. And, and now I look at it, it's weird. So I never stopped for a moment to think that alcohol could be not the faithful friend that I always thought it was because it used to be a friend to me. I used to think it was a friend to me at least. And so at no point did I even contemplate that alcohol could be the problem. Mm-hmm. It certainly is helpful. Certainly being a mum, I also had this major identity crisis when I became a mum. I was like, oh my goodness, I used to be fun and spontaneous and now my life is just like multiple wake-ups and poo nappies and all that kind of stuff. And I I really lost myself there for a moment. Mm -hmm. And I think I thought the way back to myself was through alcohol because I remembered when you were young, you used to have fun. You used to do cool things. You were sexy, you were spontaneous, and alcohol was a fixture of those things, I thought. And so I planned this big New Year's party. This is maybe my baby was about one year old. I planned this big New Year's party. I invited my friends over and I was going to have a big boozy night. And I rocked up to 1st of January and I thought, oh, that didn't, that wasn't as fun. That what did not go to the movie in my mind. And so mm-hmm. it was, I think, the beginning of me going, maybe this era of drinking whenever, just because on default is ending for me. And it was the first time I contemplated, oh, I could have fun with that alcohol, which I think is a huge one. And what I want everyone to experience is firstly asking yourself, you know, how we socialize with alcohol all the time. And we think, okay, I'm going to go to the pub with my friends and have a drink. Um, and I, if I don't have a drink, it's going to be boring. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe going to the pub is bloody boring. And if you mm-hmm. need a drug to escape <laughs> that boredom, 100%. <laughs> maybe your friends are a bit boring, my friend. Maybe you need better, more interesting friends. Mm-hmm. Maybe you need to do something that's more exciting to you. So this is what we talk about in, in booze break. We talk about this idea of is this actually fun for me and getting really clear about that question. Because for me, I also had this huge moment where I went to my sister-in-law's 30th of Bushdorf and we went, I went to this party rave. It was such a rave as a massive bonfire. Everyone was dressed up with like sparkles in our hair and neon and strobe lights. Like it was the full shebang. And I was sober and no one else was sober. (laughs) All sorts was happening. And I had such a good night. Yeah. So here, here I want everyone to kind of think about 
this idea of the fact that you can't have fun in maybe you're not having fun in the situation of being in a pub but maybe if you're in the right setting where like I love dancing I do love a bonfire I think that's super fun and that you can totally have fun if the environment is fun enough yeah I think um, you've t- you touched on something really interesting when you talk about identity and I think you're not alone when you become a mum or a parent. I think this is really relevant for men as well who have become parents and then you're like, so for me the moment was like I had delayed parental identity crisis um, because it was probably not until I kind of stayed at home and then I went back into the workforce when Henry was nearly two. But I, um, I remember I dropped him off at daycare for like a little stay and play, like let's suss out the daycare vibe before mum goes back to work full time. Oh, my God, the guilt. Wow. And um, one of the early educators said to me, oh, you're Henry's mum. And I was like, no, I'm Maz Compton in my head. <laughs> I'm like, no, I'm Maz. But I realised I'm like, oh, no, I'm Henry's mum now. Like this is. This is this is a part of me and I need to reconcile it and figure out my identity within that. And I think it happened to me when I got out of radio because I'd always been the chick on the radio. So who am I without the radio show? And I think whatever it is for people, we, we do sit in these labels or these business cards or these titles or these parts of identity and they're so comfortable. They're like clothing and then sometimes they get ripped away from us and we're like, oh. And so reaching for a drink dissipates that feeling of I'm out of my comfort zone or I don't know who I am or what is going on. And we start ruminating these thoughts and you can't figure that all out in an afternoon because that's too much mental gymnastics. So you just sometimes want to numb yourself out with a glass of wine. And I think that for a lot of adults who are in the parenting trenches with young kids and aging parents and they're getting pulled in a hundred different directions and they're probably like really um, confused about their identity in this world. Like what are we all here to do right now? Um, because that feels so scary and overwhelming and intimidating. You just go, well, I'll just have 4,000 margaritas because <laughs> then I don't have to think about it. But we both know that that bites you in the butt so hard. And at some point, you just get over getting bit in the butt. At some point, you actually wake up hungover and you don't want to be hungover anymore and you do want to make a change. And then I think people get into this place where they're like, okay, I want to stop drinking. I'm ready to make a change. I don't want to have any more hangovers. I have no idea what to do. (laughs) And I think that's a similar place to where you and I were at, you know, eight years apart-ish. But that's why we put together this program for people because we've being able to answer all the questions that you and I both had when we got to a place where, and it's not a rock bottom for a lot of people. It's just a day where you go, I think I'm done. Or it's a day where you're like, maybe I should just try something else. Maybe I should just see what's on the other side of a few months without alcohol because maybe it might be a bit better. And all of those questions like, can I go out to dinner with my mum? and not drink alcohol and still have a good time? Like, what do I actually do at a bar with my hands? (laughs) We've answered all of those really, um, like, very real questions that you and I both had. And the list is pretty extensive because it's like this alcohol is in so many areas of our lives. So it's like, 
if you're a sit home at the end of the day and like knock the lid off a beer to like end your day, if that's your habit, like, and you've decided to not drink alcohol, like what do you do on the couch instead? You know, and I think that keeps people from taking that leap of faith into not drinking because they're like, I don't know how to do it. Or we've spelt it all out for you in hours and hours of conversation, which we've condensed into a really easy to digest audio format. And if you're listening to a podcast, you love audio in the ears, obviously, which is why we did that too, because we realized that, you know, sitting down and watching a video tutorial can be a little bit who's got the time. And we also figured like people are busy and they're going to get shit done. So we'll just journey with you on that and help you take a break from booze if that's something that you're up for, which I think a lot of people who come across this platform and definitely follow me on social media are up for that. It's it's like it's hovering there somewhere in the background and it's you're waiting for the sign. Well, this is the sign. That's what I say. I'm like, if you're looking for the sign, you're looking at it right now. <laughs> this is it. And we ask the question, what do you crave? When we crave alcohol, what are we really craving? Are we craving paying $25 for a cocktail? Are we craving sitting in a dark bar with our friends where we can't hear what they're actually saying? Or we don't remember what they're saying because, you know, the booze has made our, our memory so foggy. Or do we crave better connections with our friends? Do we crave building the kind of friendship where like you could ask that person to water your plants when you go away on holiday or pick up your kids when you get up, get into a tight squeeze. We crave long DNMs and special weekends away with people that we care about. We crave like these pretty magical moments in our life. And we think that alcohol is the route, is the, is the way to get us there. But what if it's actually the problem? And in my instance, it was I was throwing gasoline on my anxiety every time I'd have a drink. And so if you're kind of wondering, how would my life be if I didn't have a drink? Would I, could I be happier? This is the product for you. I think it's so worthwhile just giving it a go, giving it a listen. And we know that it can be hard to start something. So if you go to myboozebreak.com, we're actually giving you the free first episode. So you can listen. You can go, listen, what's this What's this shebang about? Am I interested? Am I not interested? What I learned in my booze break is that you can't avoid discomfort. You can simply choose which discomfort you want. So there is discomfort if you stay where you are right now, the discomfort of having hangovers or feeling lost, feeling scared, drinking to numb and all the negative side effects that come with that. Or there's the discomfort of growth, of popping something into your ears and going, okay, we're going to start to sit with this and try something different. And I'm not going to say it's going to be super easy because there's certainly challenges in changing your relationship with alcohol. But it's not easier to stay stuck where you are right now. In fact, Mm -hmm. it's probably harder to stay stuck. And if you're looking for the sign, as Maz said, this is the sign. A hundred percent. I know you touched on it earlier when you took alcohol out of the equation. You said it had a profound impact on your levels of anxiety. Um, Were there other benefits that you noticed that you were like, oh, and this, oh, and what's going on here that you can correlate to taking alcohol out of your world well sober hair and sober skin I'm your hair is fabulous it is isn't it I can't even I can't can't agree it's fabulous Um, and and (laughs) it's just like the simple vanity metrics do you know what it is when I see people they do that thing where they go you look great 
you look so good. And they, they don't know what it is. And, yeah. and honestly, they're like, your skin looks great. They just, you know, and they, I could see they did this little double take of me. Mm. And it's this thing that I think so many of us crave. We want people to see us and go, oh, my God, you're looking fabulous. And I haven't changed anything else except for this not drinking alcohol thing. And mm. for the first time in my life, I'm going, yeah. Yeah, I do. I I look good because I feel so good. I have the energy to do the things I love. Don't get me wrong. I am dead tired. I have a six month old and I have a three year old and it's crazy. But at the same time, I'm tired, but I have the energy to parent how I want to be parenting. Mm. My fuse is far longer. I have so much more patience with my kids. Mm. And I'm turning up as the parent that I want to be and it's making me feel really good and solid inside. I do not question myself. I have so much more inner like calmness and like rocks rock steady. I am solid. I yeah. I'm not going to just get pushed over by like a little bump in the road. It's not going to derail me. That grit and resilience is super strong and I need it. I don't think I could be as successful in my life from my career to parenting to my relationships without having this, without this rock solid base. I remember when I was drinking, I used to feel like I had to get my life back on track all the time. Mm -hmm. Like I was constantly like, I constantly felt like a mess or I had this ick, like bloated feeling. I was like, right, Lindy, we got to fix this. It's like the number of self-help books I would consume in this pursuit to try and fix this problem that I thought was me. I thought it was such an internal thing. And I realized that once I stopped drinking alcohol, I didn't think I was the problem anymore. Mm. I realized alcohol was the problem. Alcohol <laughs> is the problem. Alcohol is the problem. And so your, you know, your world, you're a dietitian and a nutritionist, your world is food and the body. And what I find, and I've loved talking with you about this, because I've, I've learned so much from you in just Oh, so many things that you you would just like say this flippant comment. And I'm like, oh my god, that's gold dust. Um, but when it's we talk, <laughs> <laughs> when when we talk about usually in in the world of diet culture, I'm just going to umbrella term it. So we talk about um, cutting out whole food groups, which we don't endorse. You don't endorse, but that's what. I think a lot of people who are looking for a weight management solution, they they lean into these yo-yo diets and this diet culture, which is cut this out and that will eat, count your calories. And it just feels like so much pressure or like you've got to do like four 45-minute high-intensity interval classes a week plus this, plus don't eat any carbohydrates and have 16 liters of water and two things of mac. And it's just like so intense. And the thing that I find so interesting about a booze break is all you have to do is not do one thing. That's it. Just do not drink alcohol. That's it. And it's like, there's no load with that. And so we're not asking you to add things in and to go and do other stuff for now. Like you'll have the time to do that when you're not drinking with your mates, but the, the the one thing that you the only thing that you need to do when you take a break from alcohol is simply not drink alcohol. We're asking you to not do something that you've been doing, which feels when you break it down like that, quite manageable. When that thing has a hold on you and it's habituated into a daily thing, 
yeah, it might be a bit tricky. It might be a little bit difficult and you might miss it because if you're doing something every day, like if you're hanging out with somebody every day and then all of a sudden they moved to another country, you'd be like, oh, I miss my friend. I think sometimes we can feel like that without alcohol because we feel like it is our friend and we might miss it, but that's okay. It's like you were saying, like, choose your discomfort, like sit in that discomfort because it won't last forever. I haven't had a drink for eight and a half years and I absolutely used to miss alcohol in the early days, definitely, because it made me feel more myself at the time. But now I don't even think about it. It's like a really distant thought. And I, it's interesting, like even if I go to a bar because I actually still socialize and I'm actually still fun, even though I don't drink. I know. It's wild. No one would have known. I know. I'm a miracle worker. You wouldn't believe it. But if I go to a bar with friends, I don't, it's like I don't even see the alcohol. It's like it's not even there because I know I'm either going to have a kombucha or a sparkling water with some fresh lime or maybe a non-alcoholic beer, but probably not. But that, like I just gravitate to what my options are, not the 3,000 shelves of booze that are behind the bartender. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I, It's not even in my psyche. Can I address the elephant in the room, which is this kind of idea of I'm very anti-diet, I'm anti-restriction, I'm anti you know, putting restrictions on food because it makes us go crazy about food. But here's the fundamental difference between food and alcohol. Food is fuel. Alcohol is not something you need to survive. If you stop eating, you will die. I don't recommend it. Now, no. if you stop drinking alcohol. Good, re- you- solid recommendation, Lindy. Thanks, don't mate. stop eating, guys. Thanks, mate. <laughs> okay. If you stop drinking, though, the opposite will happen. You will, you will thrive. And that's mm. because your body innately understands the difference between fuel, aka food, and yes, carbohydrates are totally included. In fact, they're a wonderful source of fuel for our body versus something like alcohol, which is perceived very immediately at, to the body as a toxin. And while it can go through some convoluted processes to be enabled to be used as a form of energy, it is absolutely the body's least preferred source of energy it is it is a toxin and so i think that's fundamental to recognize yeah so um we we don't need to treat these relationships the same they are totally different and i think that we don't need to be putting other restrictions in our lives but this is something that can come from a really good place let's talk about the difference between oh i should stop drinking alcohol i really love it i really love it i don't want to stop but i should that's not a really healthy place to be coming at this. What what I want for people going on a booze break is to say, you know what? I I I've I've drunk alcohol before and I've seen this movie before. I've it's played out again and again and again. And actually, I don't want to keep watching this movie. I know how it ends and it sucks. It ends with me hating myself and lying in bed and and feeling ashamed of everything I did and said and and that whole story. And if it comes from a place of I choose not to drink alcohol. I don't want to. I know I could be better without it. That comes from such a different place. You know, when it comes to food, we can either shame and guilt ourselves into not eating. I, I shouldn't be having chocolate. I shouldn't be having, sh- you know, sugar and all these bad foods. But we still ultimately want it. I don't recommend that. What I want is to get to a point to go. I know I can have sugar anytime I want. I'm choosing not to eat as much because I know it makes me feel better not to. Mm. So in that way. That is the similarity here. We want to get to the point where you go, 
I choose to do this. This doesn't feel like a punishment. This feels like a reward, not drinking alcohol. And that's what we talk about in Booze Break is how do we get to this point that we go, okay, this is, we realize this is making our lives so much better. And we couldn't possibly imagine this feeling like a chore because we're making it as easy as possible to not drink alcohol. And what are the things that we need to do in order for it to feel as easy as possible? Couldn't have said it better myself. (laughs) And I think with that, We'll wrap it up by saying if you want to have a booze break, go to myboozebreak.com. As Lindy said, there is the first episode available free so you can have a little taste before you get into the main course, so to speak, um, and and enjoy it. We we honestly have, I feel like we've bonded so much in the last few weeks putting this project together and it is truly, it is something I am incredibly, incredibly proud of because it's the heart work. I always say the hard work is not the heart work. And this I know comes from the bottom of my heart because I do want people to understand how good life is without alcohol because it's so good and it's so scary. And we've both been there and we're both on our own booze breaks. And so we wanted to just be your buddies and to handhold through it. But Lindy, thank you for not only joining me today, just for the last few weeks of all of your time and opening your home and the pokey bowls and the coffees. And it's been, it's been such a delight working with you. It's been divine. Maz, you're the real deal. (laughs) I'm so grateful to be on the podcast. Bless. Thanks, babe. Thanks for listening. Make sure you click follow so you don't miss an episode. New episodes are published every Monday. You can follow us on TikTok at Last Drinks or catch up with me on Instagram at Maz Compton. Stay curious. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.